And you know what's even better? As we engage in a series on cultural renewal, the idea of living within a culture that God has placed us in, but knowing we're called to be different, just listen to the kids. They get it. We stand our ground and we do what's right. (laughs) That's at the heart of everything I need to say today. But I'm a preacher, so I'm going to say some more, if that's okay with you. Would you open your Bibles to James chapter 1? And I want you to listen, around, listen along as I read a few verses. We're going to start toward the end of the chapter. And then we're going to progress today in looking at what God might have for us in the world we currently find ourselves in. James chapter 1, starting with verse 19, says this. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Some days you'd like to do that, but you can't. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue. He deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Lord, the times we find ourselves in can be difficult to interpret. It can feel like we're being told that doing the right thing is the worst thing we could possibly do. But God, you are timeless and your word stands firm as truth, as absolute truth. So as we investigate, as as we reason together today and over these next weeks, Lord, would you teach us, would you soften us, and would you strengthen us to live as light in this dark world? That's what we're called to do, and I pray that we would, with the utmost gentleness, but with the utmost meekness, strength that's under control. So, Lord, I commit these next few moments into your hands, asking that your word would speak loudly and clearly as we follow you. In this we pray, amen. Well, as I told you earlier on today, we're beginning a series this week looking at the idea of inside out, living in a backwards world where we're called to be different from the world around us. What do I mean by that? Well, I spent my summer in America, and as you well know, there's some big issues going on in America right now. Uh, One of them being the idea of homosexual unions or homosexual marriages. 
And Christians are being put in an awkward spot because we believe in the authority of Scripture. And we say that is true, correct? But the world around us is saying that that was for yesteryear. That was for before, not for now. And if you don't agree with where we're changing as a world around us, you are wrong and we are no longer tolerant of you, but you need to be tolerant of us. And so we find ourselves at this breaking point of what do we do? And one judge or one uh, worker in a, in a county uh, clerk's office has found herself in jail. And it's become big news because she doesn't want to mistake following the will of God over the will of man. But then the question becomes, but Mike, how can we live unloving in a society that needs love? Absolutely true and great question. And there's reason for both to be useful. Or maybe we're like, well, you know, that issue hasn't hit us as much here yet. It will. Don't mistake that. It's coming and it will come. That's just one of the issues. Prostitution is legal here. Did you know that? And where prostitution is legal, it means girls and boys are taken out of their homes and sold into sexual slavery. Please don't think that just because you don't notice it, it doesn't exist here in Hong Kong. I can introduce you to a group that we work with that will tell you horrible, horrible stories of slavery, of trafficking, and of the acceptance that the world around has just said it's okay. Our culture is degrading. Maybe it's not that. Maybe that one doesn't bother you or it doesn't strike you as being that wrong in a sinful world. Yet... There are millions and billions of people suffering from hunger and disease that come out of malnourishment while people in many other cultures have more than they know what to do with and throw away enough that would feed an entire country for days and weeks and months. I say all of these things not to discourage us, but to say, friends, Brothers and sisters, my church family, we have an opportunity to respond today and tomorrow and every day that follows because God on purpose puts you here. In an expat church, in an international church, very few of you were born in Hong Kong. And those that are, most of you even that were born here, grew up here, travel extensively. So you are what I like to call a global citizen. And maybe you're displaced like me and when somebody asks you where home is, you're like, I don't know. And you know what? That's the perfect answer for a Christ follower because our citizenship is in heaven. (laughs) And that's great. That means that as this world around us changes and shifts, we stand firm on Christ, the solid rock. There's a reason we sang that song this morning. So how do we live in a culture that says authority is not with God? Anybody see the newspaper this morning? Authority is with the Hong Kong chief above all else. I disagree wholeheartedly. Whether I agree with Xi Lung or not, or Xi Jinping or not, is not the question. But there is a greater power at work in our world. And their names are not politicians. You understand that? So what does God's word teach us about addressing a culture that is changing, that is saying Christianity is not valid, that is saying we should be tolerant, but we aren't tolerant of you, and is saying that we have to adapt.
Over the next six weeks, I want us to investigate these questions. And I want to start by understanding a basic definition of culture. Culture is where we find ourselves. It's pretty simple. Uh, When I was an undergrad, I loved anthropology, sociology, psychology, all the social sciences. They made sense to me. Don't ask me about math, but ask me about this stuff, and I'll, I'll be able to talk with you about math. I'll just ask lots of questions. But culture is ultimately the ideas, customs, and social behavior of a people or society. When you begin to break that down, culture can be made up of all different things. For instance, we have our own little subcultures here as a part of the church family at AIC. Some of you don't even know that we are part of a bigger group of churches called the Chinese Christian and Missionary Alliance. That's part of our heritage and our roots, and that's part of the Kowloon Tong Alliance Church, and it's a wonderful family. But not everybody here knows that's part of our church culture and how we do things. That's okay. Others of you notice that I speak differently than the English you're used to hearing. Because where I grew up was on the eastern coast of America, where we speak proper English. (laughs) Just let that one go on by. Or we've grown up, I was interacting with someone this week... And they were asking questions. What is it like to live in different parts of the world? And I said, you know, in parts of the world, action is taken immediately and consequences are considered afterward. In other parts of the world, we consider, we consider, we consider, and action takes months, years, decades, or centuries to happen. And so those are all factors of culture. Or other things go into our culture. How your family operates and simplify. Our class that I lead uh, earlier on in the day, we were discussing how your family culture defines much of who you are. Whether you like it or not, you're an awful lot like your parents. (laughs) Some of you are thinking, woohoo! Others are like, oh geez. And what's even better is if you have children, they're an awful lot like you. Someone walked up to my son this morning and didn't say, hi, Isaiah, or Isaiah, if you don't understand Isaiah. And they said, hi, little Mike. (laughs) Culture goes into how we raise our families. And when you mix it all in this room of 225 people that are sitting with me right now, there are 225 different interpretations of culture. But the amazing thing is, is God brought us together for such a time as this. And he invites us to live in a culture that we find ourselves in and follow Jesus in that process. Years ago, a famous theologian tried to help the church wrestle with what does it mean to follow Christ and be a part of culture? And he basically came up with five different ways to address culture. And some of you will fall into these categories. Now, I've listed these up because there are those of you that are logical thinkers. But here's the thing that I want to explain on the front end of this. One, this is a model. The great thing about models is there are always outliers. In other words, these are generalizations that help us understand how for 2,000 years the church has tried to address and adapt and work with the culture it finds itself in. These are man-made models. This is not gospel. 
So listen to that as you read, and I explain these briefly to you as we understand this idea of culture. First, there's those in the church, maybe you are one of them, that feels Christ is against culture. Anything we would define as secular would be wrong and against Jesus Christ. This would be of the era that maybe if you happened to listen to any music that wasn't termed Christian, you would be sinning. Or this was, Christ is against watching any TV whatsoever, unless it's found on the Christian channel, God TV, or things of that nature. Christ is against anything secular. That was one model that has been practiced throughout time. Another one is Christ is of the culture. Christ came down to earth, the expectation was... And he is an accommodationist. In other words, that recognizes God is at work in the culture and looks for ways to affirm where God is working. There's benefits to understanding that side of it, but it's not exactly right because there's a lot wrong with the culture we find ourselves in. Christ is not accommodating the absolute truth of him being the only way, the truth, and the life. And so we can't just take that one fully on. Christ being above culture... It's a synthetic model. It's, it's not really relevant anymore, but it advocates saying that we are trying to raise culture above where it is. We're trying to raise it up by saying there's a better target that we have to hit. The problem with that is we keep becoming adapted to the society around us and we've lowered the bar rather than raising the bar toward holiness. And so this idea of Christ above culture has been denigrated by sinful man. And then there's the Christ and culture and paragraph, uh, par- paragraph, paradox, where they're just fighting. Christ and culture don't work together. They, they're fighting continuously. Uh, we're t- of two different realms. It's also known as the two kingdoms model of church and culture. And then there's the one that is most closely related where I'd like us to consider ourselves. Christ transforming culture. And what that looks like is it's a model where we Christians and Jesus Christ himself comes into a world and we seek to transform by the power of the Holy Spirit every part of culture. But the problem is where that breaks down is we can sometimes become so much like the culture we're trying to transform that there's no difference. And so I want to pose today that there is a sixth model and a one true biblical model that we need to look at. And I get the basis for this thesis out of James chapter 1, verses 27. Here goes. This is our thesis statement for the rest of these next six weeks. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the ways of the world or by the world. What might that mean? Well, let's see if you've been listening since I've been back from my extended stay in America. A few weeks ago, I introduced or reintroduced a topic that most of you would agree with. Is God holy? Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> There's some yes... Let me ask one more time. Is God holy? All right. Okay, you believe it. You're not going to like what comes next. If God is holy, is he worthy of all of our praise, adoration, and obedience? 
Be careful. If God is holy and worthy of all our praise, adoration, obedience, and surrender, does the church look like the holiness of God that we have called, been called to be? <laughs> There's one honest person over on the left. No. Sometimes we do. I am not a pessimist. I believe there are ways to see God at work all around us that we can rejoice in. But by and large, the church has struggled with holiness. And we will continue to struggle with that. You know why I know that? Because it says we will right here. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we will continually seek to do things on our own rather than go to God first and let him dictate how we interact with the world around us. But see, the thing about following Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is that he told us a true disciple is one that obeys what I say. And most of us, in theory, would accept that to be true. If you love me, you will obey my commands, right? Well, let me see if I can break this down. And we've had a little bit of a technical problem, so I'm a little nervous with the illustration that I'm about to give because somebody moved my table. And I want to introduce you to something called um, brackish water. Anybody know what brackish water is? Up here I have, hopefully on your left, a wine glass or just a glass of wonderfully pure pluvial plus water. It has been filtered at least six times or however many layers there are in it. It is restoring the minerals and vitamins of the water God created. And it should taste refreshingly delicious. It should be pure and unpolluted by all the things that can get into water and make it nasty. Now, before I introduce the second one to you, I need to tell you a little bit about Victoria Harbor, our fragrant harbor that it is. It is now fragrant due in large part to pollution. And a few years ago, a movie was being made called Batman. And the Dark Knight Rising meant that Batman was supposed to jump into the harbor. When they tested that water, it was so polluted that they couldn't possibly allow Christian Bale to jump into the water for fear of getting him sick or killed by being polluted by that water. And so if you watch that last Batman movie where there's the Hong Kong scene, there's a reason he jumped out of a window into a plane and not into the harbor. (laughs) If I paid attention, this water is from that harbor. I know because when I went over to get it, I got it. I did it in a really stupid way and got soaked. Which water would you prefer to drink? Keep these straight. Pure, filtered, unpolluted water or salt seawater? Just think about the number of boats that go through the harbor each day. Most of you want this one, right? No, we we want this one. You can see I'm getting nervous because I don't know which... (laughs) which they changed. You have great ideas until people move your plans. And there's another lesson there. Here's the thing. Before I take this drink that we need to understand as the people of God, we say we are called to be holy people. But what has happened to the church is we continue to allow brackish water to infiltrate the church. Brackish water is the mix of seawater of sea with fresh water. 
It's where they mix and they get watered down and it's worthless water. It's not good to the fish that need salt water and it's not good to the life that needs fresh water. It's polluted. It's of no use of value to anyone. What the world needs now is not in the mystical sense. This is not holy water. I'm hoping it's pure, undefiled, and unpolluted. The world needs the church to be holy more now than ever before. And what that looks like might be uncomfortable for us today, just as if I'm wrong, this is going to be very uncomfortable to drink, and you'll see it all over my face. But I'm going to take a drink. And I was right. And I'm going to keep it way over here because even my body needs fresh water. I need, especially with the health issues that I've had in my life, I need to drink a certain amount of water every day to keep healthy. Our world around us needs to see people following Christ that are all in that are no longer polluted by the world, but say there is a bigger story at work here than just what's happening in the right now. David Platt says it like this, and I love this quote. The gospel of Christ is not a call to cultural compromise in the face of fear. I've had numerous questions all summer long about what will happen if the church begins to be more and more persecuted over whatever issue is coming at us. And not everybody likes my response because I'm kind of excited about persecution. Not in the sense that I look forward to suffering that the church will undergo, but that when the church has been struggling and persecuted, you know when the church has grown most? In those times. 1949, every missionary known was kicked out of the People's Republic of China. Did you know that? You know when the most explosive church growth movement in history happened? Between 1949 and when the missionaries were invited back in. Why? Because God was writing the story, not man. This is not me saying missionaries aren't effective, they laid the groundwork. God used them wonderfully and miraculously. And even though they were pulled out, God continued to work amongst people that were seeking to live a pure and blameless and spotless life. And in so doing, taking care of one another and meeting the needs of the family of God, understanding that we are all made in the image of God. It is not an adventure and an invitation to cultural compromise out of fear. I'm not afraid of persecution. I'm afraid of watering down our faith and turning into brackish water that's of no good to anyone. We are called to what David Platt calls countercultural crucifixion. That's a big way of saying being dead to sin and alive in Christ and saying, God, your ways are the right ones and I'm going to follow them. And I know this is a heavy message and it's just going to get heavier when we look very carefully at what Jesus has told us. But stay with me. Because notice what James, the brother of Jesus, says at the end. He tells us, I've lost my notes. Basically, as we'll see time and again, freedom is found in the holiness of God. 
we've got it backwards. We think we need to invite people to have laws that give us freedom to worship God. What we are called to do is to invite people to worship God wherever they find themselves. Because no one can take away the adoration of our hearts. No prison cell is big enough. No death is eternal enough that can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. So why wouldn't I want my life to be lived for him? Why wouldn't I want others around to see that while I can live in this culture, you know what? I like watching movies. And I like some of the music that's being made out there. And I very much dislike other music that is made out there in certain other movies. And what we are invited to do as followers of Jesus Christ is to learn how to interact with the world around us in a way that is holy and pleasing to God. Because what happens is what we are told throughout and consistently in Scripture. And you know what that is? When you are different, you may be persecuted, you may be criticized, but in the end, people will recognize the difference in you and give glory to God our Father who is in heaven. Isn't that amazing? If we look like the world, who's going to know that we follow Jesus Christ? And who's going to care even if we do? Jesus Christ told us so clearly, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. The entire good news of Jesus Christ that starts on page one of your Bible and goes all the way to the final amen is about looking after the people of God for his namesake. His plans aren't to make us miserable. His plan is to show the world there's a better way to live. That redefining right and wrong all the time just gets us messed up, confused, and struggling. The front page of the New York, New York Times online edition this morning, I read a lot of newspapers, so sorry. But it, it, was a, it was a small bit down toward the bottom, but it said, Hollywood is finally catching up and showing lesbian couples in healthy relationships that are natural. And the New York Times was praising this because finally, apparently, society is seeing something that I would say is unnatural, according to the word of God, as being now natural. And so the media is promoting this. It's a liberal media source. Why should we expect it to be different? We'll talk about that as well. But it's all around us that we are told to accept this way of living. Yet Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the call to live for Christ is a call to die, a call to come and die and say, Lord, I'm going to follow you because I want to do what you've said and your ways lead to a certain kind of life. And before I finish what kind of life that is, I want you to ask a question. If you are living right now, which I'm assuming since you're here, you're alive, do you feel like your life is all you'd hoped it would be? Don't answer that one out loud. If you're in this room and you're hearing me speak, and I know there are many circumstances going on in this room, and so I, I can't begin to assume I can speak into all of them. But I can say this. Is it all you'd hoped it would be? Are you satisfied, fulfilled, 
content? Most of us, myself included, probably answer that question with a no. I wish I fill in the blank. But as I read Christian history and I look at guys like the Mueller brothers, Francis Schaeffer, Hudson Taylor, uh, the missionary, the girl missionary to India. Um, where's my wife when I need her? She's upstairs. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot, time and again, these people that in the eyes of the world gave up so much and said to live so differently, even Mother Teresa. Yet you know what you don't read from them at the end of their lives? Regret, disappointment, or discontent. You know why? Because when they read that Jesus Christ said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, they took him seriously and they said, okay, let's do it. (laughs) That should get you excited. They said, instead of looking around at the world and lamenting, which sometimes we are a little too good at, lamenting that our world is broken. I concede that point. Our world is broken. That's why we're here. We are here to be light in this dark world to be the salt of the earth, not brackish water that's watered down, to be salt, to flavor the earth, to show people the very love of God that all may see and come to know Christ as Lord. So what might that look like? Well, when we talk about culture, pastors are often criticized of giving their own editorials on what that might look like. I don't want to do that today. I want to look exactly at what Jesus said and show you there is a different way to live than just being a part of the culture and not letting anyone know there's a better way. Josh McDowell coined the term decades ago, and it's called a relational apologetic. In other words, we were put on this earth to bring glory to God and love one another. That's everyone. The famous parable, who is my neighbor? Everybody's our neighbor. True religion that God approves as faultless and pure is not only not being polluted by the world, but caring for orphans and widows in distress. And when you think about that culturally, that blows up into how we address the need of poverty in our world, how we address the need of sexual slavery and every kind of slavery in the world, how we address the massive refugee opportunity that we have in front of us right now. Because you know, from the beginning of God's word, he's been talking about widows, aliens, and orphans and the least of these. And he has called the church to be his agent for change. Did you know that? So what did Jesus teach us? He didn't teach us too much about politics. He taught us about a different way to live. And it started here. The Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. I skipped the first few. Go back and read them on your own. But listen to the type of life and inner life and attitude that Jesus invites as we live in the culture he has placed us in. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Often, churches, even with each other, and I'll flesh this out in a few minutes, but we are more known for what we're against than who we're for, aren't we? We mix up a call to holiness with a call to living and following the rules. 
A call to holiness is inviting people to let the Lord Jesus Christ transform their lives. For the church, a call to holiness is holding one another accountable and spurting each other on toward love and good deeds. Not everyone's going to receive that. Part of church discipline means sometimes we speak the truth in love and you may not want to receive that. But a call to holiness is we love one another enough that we're going to push us toward Jesus Christ and away from ourselves. And in the world we find ourselves in, we're going to live at peace one with another. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Well, people feel persecuted for all the wrong reasons. People feel persecuted because of the color of their skin, because of their uh, food preference, because of where they grew up, because of this, that, and the other. These are all very real types of persecution that people do face. But those aren't the ones Jesus is blessing right now. He's blessing those that live in this world as light and the world can't handle it. Blessed are... Where am I? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. All of these statements are not conditional. Did you notice? In each one of these, it says these are things to be done and will happen. Blessed are the peacemakers before they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted, not if, who. Blessed are you when people insult you. Not if, when. If we are living holy lives, saying, Lord, let me be washed by the blood of the Lamb, which you already have been when you accepted Christ as your Lord. And as we live the sanctified life, becoming and looking more like Jesus each day, the world will not understand what to do with us because they don't understand a revolutionary way of life that looks to loving God and loving others first. They look to following rules and redefining them to fit within their agenda and their culture and their ideals. It's why we keep trying to redefine things. We've lost sight of what Jesus taught. So let's think about what Jesus says. And these are pretty obvious. And so I'm not going to comment too much, but I want us to consider as we look at living in the culture God has placed us, wherever that may be. First, in the same way, let your light shine before others. And by the way, all of these are out of Matthew 5. I I didn't go all over your Bible because I didn't want to intimidate you and say, you've got to go looking for how to live. It's all included in one chapter. Two, if you want to get really excited. But for today, we're just going to look in one spot. And I'm not even going through all of them. I'm going to move quickly through a few. But in the same way, let your light shine before others. (laughs) And here we go. That they may see your good deeds. In other words, here it is. You ready? When we are called to follow Jesus Christ and when we are invited into his family and when we have accepted him as Lord Jesus Christ, we are invited into a life that says we will live out the name of Jesus in word and deed. If someone is needy, we feed them. Or if they're hungry, we feed them. If they're needy, we clothe them. We walk alongside. I will say this again and again throughout this series and throughout the rest of my life. We, the church, are called to walk alongside those in need, in distress, and that don't have the answers. They might reject us. That doesn't give us the chance to say, oh, and walk off and huff. Instead, we're called all the more 
to let our good deeds be known so that they say, wow, Pastor Harris, good job today. No. So that they bring glory to our Father who is in heaven. Our attitudes, our posture, our actions show the world a bigger story than our own and show the world that there's a better life to live and show the world that God the Father who is in heaven loves them incomparably and is inviting them to be set free from whatever they're struggling with, whatever sin is wrapping itself around them. And the church is called to invite people into this relationship by living out the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came into the world to show the world there's a better way to live. The better way to live is Jesus. The better way to live is caring for others, even if it's inconvenient. It's inside out. It's backwards. The world says, think of yourself first. And everything Jesus did was the other way around, saying, think about others first. You may have been hurt, but what did that do to someone else? And how did you respond in love? That's not very popular. Why would I dare say that? Because our sins nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. And even in his greatest moment of sorrow, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't get what they're doing. So it's really hard for me to be sympathetic toward Christians that are victims. Because we've been forgiven, we've been set free, and we've been invited into a holy life that says our circumstances may be awful, but God invites us into his care, his love, and he will get us through whatever he has seen fit to allow us to face right now. And the church was called to make sure that we don't face that alone. That's what we're called to do. Listen to what else Jesus said, and it's going to get more and more personal, I'm warning you. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, that ever happened to anybody? None of you have ever been angry with each other, right? Just think about real brothers and sisters. I'm upstairs getting ready for the message and I hear my youngest yell at my middle child. (sighs) There was not stillness in my soul in that moment. But when we get angry with our brother and sister, you know what we do? We fight for our rights. We complain then to other people or that we've been treated unfairly. And you know what? In the eyes of the world, that's all fine and good. And you know what? Life is often not fair. Please don't mistake that I'm not being sympathetic. But that's not what Jesus has said here. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, doesn't say whether they're right or wrong, does it? Did you read that? It doesn't say right, wrong. It says if they have something against you, what do you do? You go pursue a relationship. You go fight for peace. Go all the way back. Jesus is consistent. Ladies and gentlemen in the church, we have gotten used to holding on to grudges instead of loving each other enough to deal with our challenges and our hurt feelings. And so what that has turned us into is a bunch of people that only talk about the weather. 
if you want to be honest. Because we're not able to talk with each other and we don't love each other enough to pursue peace. And Jesus is saying, stop it. Because if you're not, you're subject to judgment. That is his words, not mine. If I'm saying it, that's different. But we pursue healthy relationships. Go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. You know what the assumption that's made there? Is if you've, been, if you've done the wronging, you've already dealt with that. And if you've been wronged, you've already forgiven because it's the right thing to do and we know it. So what about us in the church? I know some of you have been wronged and I ache with you and I want to take that from you. I want there to be justice and in the end there will be. But we're not called here to go fight and get revenge. We're we're told that blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who go pursue that person that has hurt them, wronged them, or they have wronged and and said, I love you enough that I want to move past this, even though it's scary for me. And you know, when the world sees that, they will give glory to God, our Father who is in heaven, because that's not how the world deals with things. The world says, I can't, I won't, or it's not fair. Jesus says, go chase reconciliation. And that starts in the church. A church that's countercultural, living from the inside out, chases healthy relationships inside these walls and outside these walls. Next one. Uh oh. Gets a little personal here. Especially when you explain what he was saying. You shall not commit adultery. Many of you are thinking, whew, never cheated on my spouse. I'm not married. I'm safe. Keep reading. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman or man lustfully, I get some chuckles there, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he goes on to say the most radical of statements. If your right eye causes you to sin, cut it out. Really? Well, if you think about it, what might that mean for us today? If you are struggling with pornography, turn off your computer at night when nobody is awake to notice what you're doing. Don't open up your smartphone and start looking at stuff. Put it away. Eliminate the temptation rather than giving invitation for your heart to be hardened. There's a difference there. And Jesus is saying, avoid adultery. Avoid this thing which can so defile you that it will harden your heart and break you. And in the holiness of God, it won't show the world the life you've been given to live. It breaks us down. If you're looking at porn, that's somebody's kid. Not an object. If you're having relationships at work. Maybe they're not physical, but they're emotional. And there's this thing, you see it on TV all the time now called your work wife or your work husband, where you share with them everything that should be shared with your actual spouse. That's just as dangerous. That's an emotional connection that can break us down and hurt us. And it can cause us to fall. I've seen it with pastors, with friends. I've seen it with workers all over the areas I've served where they just started chatting and then, well, they understand me. They get me in a way that's different. And thus began the slippery slope and marriages have been broken. 
And we're invited to say, we're going to live holy lives so that the culture around us can see there's a better, bigger, holy way to live that's found in Jesus Christ. This one's also painful for the church, but these are Jesus' words, so bear with me. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What does this mean? It means a couple of things. God loves marriage. God invented it. Don't mistake that. God created marriage between a man and a woman. That is consistent throughout scripture. He does not like divorce. He gave reason and freedom to get divorced under a certain set of circumstances. But even then it breaks heart because it's a broken relationship. We are called to pursue reconciliation even when it's hard. But it's not always possible. And Jesus isn't saying that. But what he is saying is fight for healthy relationships within your marriage. I know some of you right now are facing tremendous obstacles. But the church is called to help you fight for a healthy marriage. And if your spouse has cheated on you, we're going to walk alongside with you and do what we can to help. That's what we are called to do. For oftentimes, we've, the church, been afraid to deal with this issue. But divorce isn't the answer. Holiness is. Now, there are times when the spouse won't respond and divorce is the only option. That's why God gave us that because sinners have faced this reality and there is grace there. Maybe you wrestle with the fact that you have been divorced or you're facing divorce and you feel like somehow you're less loved by God or by his church and that is categorically wrong. We, as God's people, will love you all the more and there is grace for you but we also invite you to pursue reconciliation with the same relentless passion of Jesus Christ who knew no sin becoming sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God. He could have looked at this broken world and said, stinks to be them. They're idiots, let them figure it out. But instead, he plopped himself down in the middle of this broken world and looked at the crowd as he walked through looked at the brokenness of everyone in that crowd as he gave this message and many others with compassion and said, I'm going to tell you the right way to live and I'm going to show you how to do it and I'm going to show you that there is freedom and reconciliation that starts with me, Jesus Christ. And that when you find that freedom, you are going to seek to make peace with everyone you come in contract, in contact, and sometimes contract. You've got employers, Sometimes the hardest peace you have is with them. I understand that. And maybe my staff is thinking that about me. Well, there you go. But here's the thing. A relational apologetic is one that chases reconciliation so that people might be reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the good news of Jesus Christ that this world needs to see. That's the good news of culture around us that we live in a world that's broken and we've got the solution. The solution isn't politics. It's way bigger than politics. The solution isn't protesting. and, And don't misunderstand me. Some of you may need to be actively involved in politics. By all means, do it. Make sure your motives are pure. 
Ask God every day to search your heart and make sure you're doing it with the right ambition because absolute power corrupts absolutely. But for the rest of us, get involved in the world around you by showing there's a way to live that is fulfilling, that is holy, and that is consistent. Because, oh yeah, Jesus talked about us when we make promises and when we commit to stuff that our yes should be yes and our no. I switched because I don't like how the newer NIV translates it, but I like it best here. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Yes, but Mike, you don't understand my situation. Oops. No, that can't be right in this situation because it's different. Oops. No, it's not fair. Oops. No, you don't understand. I concede every one of those points. It is not fair. I do not understand. I wish the situation was different. I wish things were better off. Now here's what I do know. It is by grace through faith that you have been saved. And as such, you have been gifted with gifts from God the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit to live and use those gifts to show the world and to come alongside brothers and sisters in Christ that there is a way to live that transcends culture, that is holy and pure, looks after the widows, the orphans, the needy, the persecuted, the slaves, the broken, the broke, and everything in between and says we are going to walk alongside It is really easy for me to tell you everything that's wrong with this world today. I could give you a good list and it'd have to start with myself. It is much harder and messier to walk alongside those that are struggling, that need somebody to love them enough to speak the truth in love, that need someone to pursue peace with them, that need someone to pursue reconciliation not for themselves, but for the glory of God. What will we do? Here's the answer. Again, Jesus' words, not Mike's. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. It is so inconvenient to have such needy people in the world, is it not? Don't they understand I'm busy? Don't they understand I got stuff to do? No, they probably don't in their time of need. That's why we're invited to walk two miles rather than one. Give to the one who asks you. Don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. But I tell you this, love your enemies. But Mike, they were so wrong. Yep, I agree. If you come to me for counseling and somebody has wronged you, you'll never hear me say they weren't wrong but you will hear me say we're called to love them and we're called to fight to show them the love of God in this. I will accept that hurt and we will work through that, but we are still called to love those that have hurt us and we are still called to pray for those that persecute us, whatever that may look like. Some of you live in environments where they hate God or they say even worse, he doesn't exist and we don't know how to address. So what are we told to do? We start in the most important posture we have prayer. We don't do it on our own. That you might be children of your Father in heaven. How are kids going to be known? Well, in today's day and age, you're known by your name, correct? 
Now, you all have given names. Mine is Michael. My second given name is Richard. Those were names given to me by my father. But the last name, my family name, we had no choice over because I was born into that family, whether I liked it or not, and so I am named after a flower. (laughs) And my family name is Rose. And so whenever I come home from a good exercise workout, I love to tell my family I smell like a rose. (laughs) But that name, no matter how many laws I try to redefine, is always my family name. And I carry it with me wherever I go. Now, originally, actually, if you want the etymology, my original family name was Rosa. But when they got to America, they didn't know how to spell in English. And so we became Rose. There you go. Trivia about Mike. My point is this. If I asked you all, do you believe that the Bible is true? I believe most of you would say yes. And if I asked you the follow-up question, then do you believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life? Most of you, if you show up at church, would believe that to also be true. Okay? Then I would say, well, do you believe that what he says is true? And most of you would say yes. Then did you know that you have been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God, co-heirs with Jesus Christ? That your family name is God's child, holy That's your name. The world needs to see us as holy. They need to see us chasing healthy relationships for the glory of God because we are broken and people can't figure out the answer so they keep trying to change the lines. They need to see a church that loves each other enough to pursue holiness together. They need to see a church that loves when there are those that are mourning. They need to see a church that knows how to eat and love each other. So stay for the potluck next week. If not for yourself, because people need to see what it's like to get together with people from other ethnicities and enjoy that God has brought us together. The world needs to see us living what Christ told us to do. We can't just hide it inside this little light of mine. You remember that song? I'm going to let it shine. Two more things, and I finish with these. Here's the thing about a relational apologetic. It's expensive. It costs us a lot. And that's what Jesus was promising. He says this. He says, if you love those who love you, that's easy. If you like me, that's easy. If you love me, that's easy. Even tax collectors get along with those that like them. In other words, those they're making money for. If you greet only your own people, who do you talk to in church? Those that you already know, right? But Mike, it's uncomfortable to talk to others. You know why it's uncomfortable? Because you won't talk to them enough to know them. It's always scary the first time. Then you might find out some amazing things about people. And it's pretty amazing. And you know what? They're just as nervous as you. So maybe you shake your hand and say, hi, I'm scared, but this is my name. Don't even the pagans talk to their friends. But be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Old Testament Hebrew calls that holy. Be holy as God our Father is holy. Because if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. 
You really are countercultural, living from the inside out. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The end of the story is simple a relational apologetic that accepts that Jesus Christ is Lord and he came to set us free and he called us to pursue relationships to free us up to love the way Christ loved us is the most freeing way we can possibly live. And at the end of that, as we show the world there's a different way to live, we will have no regrets. We will have no I wish I'd. The only I wish I'd will be I wish I could have talked to more people and shown them who Jesus is. Will Alliance International Church, will fill in the blank with your own name, be a people that pursues holiness for the sake of being different and showing the world the light that is God, the light that is called us to shine brightly, reflecting himself, that the world may see us in him, or see him in us and give glory to him and be transformed. You know, when I pray with my kids before bed, I pray a simple thing, and it's always a variation of a few things, but every night one sentence is always the same. Lord, help us to love others the way you loved us. Will we do that in the world that's broken? Will we do that as we address issues of money of marriage, of homosexuality, of poverty, of slavery, of oppression? Will we love with the sacrificial, pursuing love of Jesus Christ? Lord, I can't ask for more than for you to transform us, than for you to help us to take seriously your promises that your life is the best way that the only way to transform this world is by being pure and faultless. And that's by being washed by your blood. Lord, I know there's, there's those out there that are hurting. Please, only you can heal them. May they turn to you first. I know there are broken relationships. Give us the courage to pursue reconciliation. I know there is hurt in marriage. There is hurt in relationships at work and at home and in family and in all these places. Lord, help us to love with the love that you have loved us. And Lord, please work in ways that heal. Please give hope to those that seem like there is no hope. Please help us to feed those that are hungry, to provide for those that are needy, to mourn with those who mourn and celebrate with those who celebrate. But above all, Lord, may we do it for your glory. Out of love for you. In this we pray. Amen.